Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to read to you uh, one verse out of John chapter 17. Verse 17. I want you to follow along with me as we look at what the Lord says. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I want to talk to you tonight about what Jesus wants for you. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time and your word. Lord, I pray for the Root family that you would give them wisdom, God. I, I pray, Lord, for our families here and, and every report you heard tonight, the positive praise, God. I pray that you would continue to give us things to brag on you about, God. I pray that you would bless our families, increase us with children, with grandchildren, God. I pray that you would bless our children and our grandchildren, our nephews and our nieces. God, I pray you bless our community and our church, Lord. Use us for your glory and speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What Jesus wants for you. This ought to be big on your mind. Having heard Stacy's report and talked about Mr. Edmund being the big boss and, and being, being the patriarch of his family, they understand. And I've seen them in, in homes and at barbecues and in social engagements, how they act around dad. And they want dad to be happy and they want to know what dad wants right now and what I can do for you. That's how you love someone who is senior to you. That's how you love someone who you say is important to you. And I think we could all agree that Jesus is senior to us. We should all agree that he's important to us. And we want him to be happy. The best way to make somebody happy is to give them what they want. The best gift for somebody is what they want. Now, if you gave, um, I don't even know who to mess with right now. If you gave Kari a $500 softball bat, she probably wouldn't, Deacon Jimmy's laughing already. He, he, he knows where I'm going. She probably wouldn't have any use for that other than to beat stray dogs and, and burglars that came in her house. And it wouldn't mean that much to her. It would be no different to her than an axe handle, a tree limb, or a piece of wood leaning on the wall. But if you gave Deacon Jimmy a $550 softball bat, you could do some, make some use with that, right? See, he loves softball. You give someone, if you love them, give them what they want. If you want to make them happy, give them what they want. And I want you to see tonight what Jesus wants for you. And it ought to be imperative in your life. It ought to be just the top of your desire list. I want what he wants. I want to give him what he wants for me. I want to give him what he wants for me. I, I have let the cat out of the bag recently this year uh, on, on a 15-year secret. I have never been the Skittles eater that people think I am. I use Skittles as analogies a lot. I have bags in my closet of Skittles that people have given me that never got opened. Because people are like, I'm going to drop by and give Pastor a bag of Skittles. And I appreciate the thought and I appreciate the sentiment. That's why I have kids come in my office every 
Service we have after service. Kids come in my office because I'm trying to give away all these Skittles handful at a time um, to, to encourage these kids to have good memories about church. And you ought to want your kids to have good memories about church. This is what I've taught in leadership training to the people that work with our kids. Of course, I want sound theology being taught to our children. Of course, I want high level of ministry and excellence to our children. But I want them to remember that they love church. I want them just to enjoy it. I want them to like it. Of course, I want them to behave properly, but I want them to like it. Because if they go where we went, if they go through some time like most of us went through, if they find themselves in a bar somewhere or at a party somewhere where a bunch of people are getting turned up and bad-mouthing God and bad-mouthing church, I want our kids to be able to scratch their head and think, you know, that was some of the funnest time in my life. I, I, I loved going to church, and I want them to have good memories of church so that that will be stuck in their head that they'll want to come back. We, we've got to learn how to be a blessing to each other, but more than anything, we've got to learn how to honor God in our life because that's what we claim is important to us. If you love somebody, you want to give them something, people give me Skittles because they've assumed, because I talk about them a lot, that, that I, I want them, and that's cool, and that's nice. Uh, I'm a hard guy to shop for because I really don't want anything. I want you to be happy. I want you to be, you know, you be blessed. Um, but you give someone what they want. Most women would not appreciate you giving them a treadmill because they might wonder what you're trying to say, you know, or, or giving them a book about how to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. You know, that, that might get you in trouble. But if that's where they were and that's what they wanted, they'd been desiring that treadmill. Give them what they want. I wonder if you love God enough to give him what he wants you to have. Let's, let's look at what Jesus said in verse 17. See, this is the Lord's Prayer. And you need to know this. this is, some theology is just facts and information that won't really, you know, ultimately change every day of your life. But this will. People think that the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew chapter 6. And because at one time the whole Christian world was Catholic. Everyone that was Christian in the world was Catholic. There's always been other religions. There's always, well, af after Adam and his, his grandchildren uh, grew up. But there's, there's always been other religions through the history of the world. But there was a time when Christianity only had one denomination. And all Christians around the world were Catholic. And that's why they had the holy wars to go out and kill everybody who wouldn't be a Catholic and make everybody become a Catholic. And the Catholics taught us to say our father. And the priest would teach us to, to, to get your mind right, to go home or go out and sit in the, in, the, in the church and say whatever he determined, three Hail Marys and five our father. So you'd be sitting there saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, reciting this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. His disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 6 and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he said, okay, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say when you pray, pray exactly this. And this is where the Catholic Church messed it up because they taught us to pray exactly that. And every church in the world is still influenced by Catholic theology because it all sprang forth from that at some point. The Reformation was a break away from that, but it still has this, this flavoring to where most people, if you said, do you know the Lord's Prayer? If they said that they do know the Lord's Prayer, you could almost be sure that they're talking about our Father who art in heaven, Matthew chapter 6. But John chapter 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. This is where 
Jesus praying to God is recorded word for word. If you really want to see how Jesus prayed to the Father, you can't go to Matthew chapter 6 because he said pray like this. This was a pattern. It was, a, it was an outline. But this is the exact prayer recorded for us of how Jesus talked to God. And he's praying for his followers. And he asked the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Colon. We won't pause on the punctuation. Take it in bite-sized pieces. Try to learn from it. Sanctify them. Now, here is that exception. Because I've told you before, when reading the Bible, if the Bible says us, it's usually talking about what kind of people. If it says them, it's usually talking about what kind of people. Unsaved people. Here's an exception. If you took that rule and you said every time it says them, he's talking to unsaved people, and you just jump in the middle, and this is why it's dangerous to pick up in the middle of a, a, a verse or a paragraph or a chapter. If you just jump right into this verse and said sanctify them, well, them's unsaved people. Not here. He's talking in the previous preceding verses about Christians, people who love him and follow him. So he says sanctify my followers through your truth. Sanctify. We've looked at that word before. It means to set apart for God's usefulness. We are not sanctified when we're dirty. We're not sanctified with unclean hands. We're not sanctified when we are not clean before the Lord. Now, does that really happen in the life of a true Christian? Do, do, we, get, do we get dirty? Do, do, we, do we get to a place where we're not, where God could really use us right then? Yes. That's why he told us to ask for forgiveness. That's why he told us to, to get cleansed. I, I love the analogy. I'm going to give it to you again and move on. Um, we had a youth event one time, and, and we were having people eat ice cream. And we had them, had them do something. It was a game outside, and they had to take spoons and dig in the mud with spoons. And they kept those muddy spoons, and they laid them out next to all the ice cream bowls. Now, there probably was some kid that wiped it off on his shirt tail and went to eating. But most of the kids looked at it and like, you, you want me to eat ice cream with this filthy spoon? The spoon is a tool in the hand of the eater to get the ice cream in their mouth. So it's a tool of usefulness. But it's not sanctified when it's covered in mud. It's not clean. It's not fit for the use that you want to use it for. So we're either sanctified or we're unsanctified. You need to figure out where you're at. Because some days you're going to be sanctified. Other days you're going to need to get sanctified. Salvation's a one-time deal. The Bible says that, that salvation is eternal. So you get saved, that's a wrap. Sanctification is a lifelong process. You, you, you fall down, you get up. You fall down, you get up. Jesus said the way to get them cleaned back up and useful in the Father's hand is to sanctify them through God's truth. And then he doesn't even hesitate to let people wonder what is the truth he's talking about. He said your word is truth. So we've got to agree with Jesus if we call ourselves Christians. Jesus said in his, what is called by theologians, high priestly prayer, Jesus, because he was praying for his flock as a priest, so it's called the high priestly prayer. He's praying for his, his congregants. He said, your word is truth. So what is truth? God's word. What is truth if it feels like it punches you in the gut and you don't really like it? Still God's word. 
What is truth if you wish it didn't say that because everything in you wants to do something contrary to it? Still God's word. What is truth if it disagrees with what you've always thought God taught? What what is truth even if it disagrees what your former pastor or your current pastor is saying? What is truth? God's word. God's word is always truth. Jesus said God's word is the truth. God's word is the only thing that can cleanse us up. Not listening to music, not just hanging out with Christian folk, not, not, not meditation, mysticism, candles and incense. God's word is the thing that will sanctify you and set you apart. So Jesus said, this, this is what you need. You, he's asking God, he's praying for his followers, and he's asking God, clean them up, Father, with your truth, your word. Is truth. Then in verse 18, he goes on to say, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now, these thou's, they, they mess some people up in this, in this generation because they didn't grow up on this. As you, uh, if you just take the TH out, if you turn that H upside down and lean it sideways, pretend it's a Y, uh, Y O U, as you have sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world we are replicas of christ we are examples of what christ looks like we're his followers and we should look like him we represent him the bible says we're his ambassadors we're supposed to go out and represent him and we have the same mission that's why it's called the great we we say commission But you could easily say it with a different understanding and a better understanding by calling it the great co-mission. We are on a co-mission with Christ. God sent Jesus into the world to glorify God. Jesus sent us into the world to do the same thing. Look at verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. It is very important to know that we have a sanctified Savior. It is very important to know because when we fail, He doesn't fail. When we are dirty, He's not dirty. When we are struggling, He's not struggling. See, you need to know that the leader, Christ, is always on the job. They say that George Patton had the most remarkable fellowship of any leader in the history of American military that his troops fought for him at a higher level, that it was so, such a high level that it was noticeable. And the reason why was because they admired the fact that this dude was about it. It's, it's like that principal at W.E. Cherry. I've told y'all, this, this woman has got that whole school locked down mentally. You say, Y'all sure do have a nice school. Well, our principal is just the greatest principal in the world. Oh, I like, I like that picture on that wall. Well, our principal always has nice pictures. I mean, it's just always. They, they, are, they know that that woman is about it, and she's there. She's on it. That's the kind of person you can follow. And this is what messes churches up when the leader is confused or when the church is confused about who the leader is, then they get disjointed mentally. I remember when Jimmy Swaggart fell and got caught in, in, in his sin. Jim Baker fell, or any number of these cats, got exposed for what they were doing on the low. And people left the church over that. And they're like, my whole, my whole mind is shot now. 
If, if he can't live it, nobody can live it. He's supposed to be the leader. No, he wasn't. Jesus was. He, the Bible says don't, don't trust in flesh because flesh will fail you. The leader that we look to, to, that we get our example from, that we can say, he's all in and I can follow a man like that is Jesus Christ. And he said, that, that's why I'm staying clean. They're always going to know I'm about it so, so, so that they can. He said, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 20. I can remember when I first read verse 20, or when I first, probably when I first read it, first got a revelation on it. Some verses, I hope that there are verses that jump out at you. I hope there are verses that, that you can call what me and Dean have called them since we first got saved in 1981, Nuggets. Little nuggets. We, we, you dig in the scripture and you try to find some, some treasure. And when you find a nugget, something, because you're going to read, man. If you read this Bible, you're going to read a bunch of stuff that you don't understand at all. You're going to read a bunch of stuff that you don't get at all. But when you read something and you're like, That's, that, that speaks to me. That's your treasure. And I can remember when this verse jumped out at me. And I just wept, and I just held my Bible. See, I, I used to go to bed holding my Bible, crying on it, kissing on it. That's a little much, but I'm an emotional dude. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to do that, and I would never teach that. That's just me. But when, I've, when I, I can remember when this, this verse, just God uncovered it for me. Jesus is praying. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, not just the ones that he knew that were there in, in 30 A.D. He said, I'm not just praying for these, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So he said, it's not just Peter, James, and John. It's not, it's not just uh, Andrew and Philip. It's not just Nathaniel and Thaddeus. It's, 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 it's all who will ever believe in me. You know who that is? That's us. That's you. He said, I'm not just praying for Peter, James, and John, Andrew. I'm not just praying for these couple hundred people that are following me right here on this earth. But I'm praying right... 2,000 years ago, Jesus was already praying for you. Do you believe in him? If you believe in him, 2,000 years ago, he was praying for you. That's incredible to me. That is just incredible to me that it, we sing song, he knows my name. He knew my name thousands of years ago. And he was praying for me because he knew I was going to believe in him through the apostles' message that they took to the whole world. Verse 21 and then he said, this, this is why he was praying. He said, I'm praying for the ones that are here right now, and I'm praying for the ones that are coming, like Scott Becker and Ken Huff, and, and, and everybody who believes in Jesus thousands of years from now, I'm praying for them as well. And, and, and this is why I pray that they will all be one, comma. That's why he's praying for us. That's what he wants for us. This is the, this is, this is the great revelation. What would Jesus pray for if he was on the earth today? Well, that's an easy answer because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why you have to know to answer that question that used to be popular, uh, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Well, well, he would do what he did. Well, what would Jesus talk about? He'd talk about what he talked about. Well, how would Jesus respond? He'd respond how he responded because he's unchanging. And he said, I pray that they will all be one. If Jesus was in this room right now, now he's praying for everybody that believes in him. So that's us because we say we believe in Jesus. If Jesus was in this room right now and, he, and God said, I'm going to let you make a request, what do you want for the people who believe in your name? And, and God said, you can pray and ask me one thing for your followers. 
and because he never changes and he'll do what he did, what do you think Jesus' one prayer request for the people in this room would be? That we would be his one. I pray that they will all be one. Now, that doesn't mean what the old church tried to make it mean. Um, <laughs> and it's okay to copy some things culturally. I've done that a lot with people I admire. You know, you see a good-looking outfit on somebody, you're like, man, i got to get that. You see, you see a certain style, you, you, you might be drawn to it. But I can remember growing up, when I first got into church, there was a couple of churches that every single person in the room dressed exactly the same. They all had the same glasses, big old black, thick-rimmed glasses. You, you remember that stuff, Ken. Everybody had wore the same suit. All the women had on the same kind of dress and hat. It's like, there's a bunch of clones up in here. It's not talking about that. You, you can't be a clone of someone else. God created you to be you. You've got to have your own flavor. You've got to have your own expression. That's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all the same story, but it's told through four different people, and they put their own flavor, their own expression on it. God allowed that to happen in his, his inspiration. It's not saying that you have to watch the same TV shows. You have to, you know, pull for the same teams. It's not saying that you have to like the same flavor ice cream. It's talking about a heart that says we are together. Not everybody have the same haircut. That's another thing those churches had. Same haircut. Men, short hair. Women, long hair. You, the, the old school holiness churches that I used to go to, hair to the floor, dresses to the floor. That was it. No makeup. Long hair, long dresses. No, that's a rough look, ain't it, Stacy? That's, that's, that's a hard route right there. It's not talking about that. That's not what makes us one. It's the sense that we have of being together, being united. We are one. And that's what Jesus wants. He said, just as you and I are one, hyphen. So between that comma and that hyphen is a big speech. Not just, I'm all right with him, I don't really care for him that much, but I tolerate him one. Not just, it's okay for now one. Not just, this is the season God's got me in my life one. I'm talking about ride or die one. How together do you think Jesus felt with God? Was that up and down, in and out, good days, bad days, different? No, it was ride or die togetherness for Christ and the Father. And he said, that, that's what I want. I, I, I want them to be together just like you and me are together. He said that they also may be one in us. He wants us to be together, together between us, but he also wants us to be together with him. And with God, we've got a team. We've got an amazing team. My kids and I, don't hate, don't judge. My kids and I, we go to a lot of wrestling events. We go to WrestleMania, which if you've never been to WrestleMania, you need to go. It is the world's largest production. They had it uh, in Dallas at Jerry Jones Stadium. Over 100,000 people showed up. Puff Daddy was there, and he, he said the reason he goes to all these events is because he is mesmerized by the level of excellence of their pyrotechnics and their stage presence and the sound. I mean, they, it, it is just a blowout. And we go to all these different wrestling. If we're traveling, we're at a wrestling match somewhere and, or a sports event somewhere. And it's incredible the show they put on, and these different wrestlers have these different followers. Okay, and so they all have their music, and when their music hits, the people that like that wrestler, 
they stand up and they cheer because that, that's their dude. Well, only one dude can be the top. And, 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 and that dude is named John Cena. And John Cena has took this thing to a whole new level. And because he's a marketing genius and because Vince McMahon's a marketing genius, they, they, they took the followers... Because some people, they call them so-and-so's disciples or so-and-so's gang. Well, John Cena, if you're on the Cena wagon, you are part of C-Nation. Cena-ation. C-Nation. C-E-Nation. So when Cena's music hits, everybody in C-Nation, they stand up and do that because that's his thing. Hustle, loyalty, and respect. And... You know these people, they are locked in. They got the shirt, hat, armbands. They are locked in for John Cena. Why can't we be like that with God? Why can't we be like that with each other? Why can't? If they spent as much time with John Cena as we spend with John Cena, they'd be on each, or as, as we spend with each other, they'd be on each other's nerves. They'd be like, this dude's arrogant, this dude, this dude is prideful, this dude, I don't, I don't like his taste in music. And they would find stuff, but because they just decided, that's my dude, they are part of C-Nation. Are you really part of God's nation? Are you really down with God when God's music hits, when God enters the room? Are you standing and applauding? I can't really tell from our praise and worship all the time. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you go to WrestleMania and you find out. My, my kids and I, it make, it, that's why I, 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 I'd laugh sometimes at overly charismatic people um, that, that say, oh, I knew God was in the room because I got goosebumps. Go to Vegas and, and, and sit on the fir- front row and listen to Celine Dion hold a note. You'll get goosebumps. If that ain't your thing, go to Orlando next month, month and a half from now. Go to WrestleMania. You get goosebumps. When Cena's music hits and that crowd goes nuts, you feel the energy run through the room. It ain't always God that gives you goosebumps, but does God ever give you goosebumps? Do you ever get a connectivity that says, I'm really part of something? Jesus is praying. He said, this is what I want, Father. I want them to be together like we're together. I talk to people that know me about loyalty about being for real, always being 100. I laugh at people that talk about being 100 because most people aren't. People that talk about being ride or die because most people aren't. Jesus and the Father are ride or die for sure. And he said, it's how I want them to treat each other, Dad. I want them to be together as strong as we're together. My kids have, I don't know, I don't know if it's unhealthy, my kids have a protectiveness over me that is, is just unrivaled. Now, they've seen me hurt a lot, and that's probably why, and that's why it may border on unhealthy. They've, they've seen me laying in the stairwell, couldn't get up, tears rolling down my face from my back pain, and they want to try to pick me up, like my kids going to pick me up. They have a... a Loyalty, they have a protectionism over me because we're the home team. And they, 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 they know that we're what we've got. And in many ways, we're all we've got. This is us. And we are together no matter what. Together in every kind of weather. 
Jesus said, just like I'm in you. And they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. That's the why. Jesus tells us the what. What are you praying for? Togetherness. Oneness. Unity. No division. Down like four flat tires no matter what. Why? So that the world will believe that God sent Jesus. You got half-baked followers. The one that sent you might not be all-powerful. When you have people that are willing to die with you and for you, that cause is strong. Josh McDowell did a great book, uh, did a great work in one of his books. He's, he's a Christian apologist. Doesn't mean he makes apologies for being Christian. It means he makes arguments to prove that his truth is real. And one of the world's great debaters. And he wrote a book, and in it he was setting out to prove because he did what most of these smart, or a lot of these smart people do. He went on a trek to find out if the Bible was really true, and he took it from an unbiased opinion because he didn't think it was. And he said, I'll research it and see what I come up with on my conclusion. Well, people who really do that come away the same way every time. Christian. Because God is obviously real. And he said in one of his books that the only options that make sense in his investigation of who Jesus was, he said he had to be one of these three things. He either had to be a liar. He's saying that he's God come into flesh. He's saying he's the Messiah. He'd been, they've been waiting on a deliverer to come and take them out of oppression for thousands of years. Jesus says, oh, I'm here. I feel sorry for the Old Testament uh, Hebrews that didn't follow Jesus, that were so temple-bound that they, that they opposed Jesus. Because I know in me, if somebody came up right now Standing on the corner of 103rd and Firestone with a sign that says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Redeemer, I'm God in the flesh. We, 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 we would cast aspersions at that person. We would call them a liar. We would say, they're not, you're not, that's not you. You're not the Messiah. You're not who we're looking for. You're not Jesus. Jesus came along and told all these church-going folk, I'm the one you're supposed to follow. But Josh McDowell said if he, if he really who he says he was, then he was a liar. Because he made a lot of claims about himself. That if, he, if they, he really wasn't who he said he was, he was a liar. And then the second option was, well, maybe he didn't know he was lying. Maybe he's just a lunatic. Maybe he's just off. Maybe he wasn't together solid. But if you read his words, you find such wisdom and intelligence and articulation. You know he's not crazy. So the third option was that he is the Lord. Josh said he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. He can't be a lunatic because the wisdom is is just so free-flowing from his mouth. So he said the two big options would be either he's a liar or he's the Lord. Well, here's the thing about liars. People will lie. Anybody know the number one reason people lie, according to experts? Make themselves look better. That's a reason. The number one reason people lie is fear of loss. You catch them. It's like you catch that kid and you're like, did you move my stuff off this table? No. (laughs) They're scared they're about to lose some some comfort on their backside or or some internet time. And people lie for fear of loss. People lie to better their own situation. But people don't often die for a lie. 
when you hold to something to your death, and so many thousands of people have been martyred for the Christian faith from Jesus on down. And these people, many of them were given the option just to admit you don't believe it and we'll let you go right now. Admit that you've been lying and we'll let you go right now. Well, Jesus and the apostles, they, they were not lying. Psychologists say that many of them could not have held to a lie at the cost of their own life. Okay, so this is such a strength that it makes people think, well, what would cause people to follow something with such passion? You want to see followership in the world today? Go to W. Cherry, talk to any one of those teachers, or go and find somebody who's in the Marine Corps. They are passionate about following. They are passionate about the Marine Corps. They are locked down on the Marines. Why? Because they believe their cause is solid and pure and worthwhile. Jesus wants the world to believe that his cause is solid and pure and worthwhile. If we really would become one together, Jesus said the way they'll know that you're following me is not because you go to church, not because you build churches, not because you do good things, not because you hand out water to softball game, not because you feed hungry kids, not because you help homeless people. He said, they'll know that you're my followers by the way they see you loving each other. He knows what sends a big message to the world. The big message that he wants the world to see is us being together and loving each other. That's a choice. And you got to choose not to let differences and difficulties separate you. Jesus didn't let anything separate him from God. He said, I want them to be together like that, and I want them to be together with us. Because that's what's going to make the world believe that you sent me. You want your kids to be saved? Start loving God's people at the highest level you ever have. It's just a choice. Like with Zach, I just decided. that This, this, this young man is a human being just like I am. And he is, he is worthy of just as much love as I am. And I am going, no matter what, this is going to be my dude. Didn't mean we didn't disagree. Didn't mean he didn't. LeBron James, LeBron James, LeBron James. He LeBron James me to death. And sometimes he'd be like, when, when, when you were in the NBA playing against LeBron James, and I'm like, did we ever have that discussion? I never said I was in the NBA playing against LeBron James. Didn't mean there wasn't difficulty. He and I don't think the same on on a lot of different subjects. But it's a choice that says, you know what? I'm I'm embracing you. You can't run away from me. Boy, you know somebody loves you. You get get up to leave, they just tackle you. It's cliche, and it's, it's been in movies. But, like, the one spouse is like, I'm leaving. Another spouse is like, where are we going? Because if you're going, I'm going with you. They ain't leaving me? You're talking about you're leaving. <laughs> Where? I'm right, I'm on your hip. That's together. Some people are not together with anything or anybody. They have no cause that they're down for, and they have no people that they're down for, and that's the most shallow existence in the world. You don't live for anything bigger than you. You're not connected to anything bigger than you. That's the most shallow existence in the world. God gave us connectivity with each other. 
gave us connectivity with Jesus and the Father. And when we start loving each other with togetherness that overcomes political party and every other issue, the world's got to take notice of that. And God, there must be something to what they believe because that just ain't normal. When you get people to see that ain't normal, they start questioning why, why can you do that when most people can't. Why you're holding together when you should be falling apart. And why when you fall apart, you always get pieced back together. Because that's going to make the world believe that the Lord's message is real. Verse 22, he said, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The glory that you gave me, the power, the weight, and ability, that's what glory means, the power, the weight, and the ability that God gave to Jesus to not back down. See, we got to understand, Jesus was not a robot. It was just like... He had feelings, emotions. He felt rejection. He felt hunger. He felt pain. The, when they drove the nails in his hands and his feet, he cried. He cried over hurt for the people that he loved. When people died, he cried for them. When he saw people confused, he hurt for them. When it came, push come to shove... And he knew they're about to arrest me and they're going to beat me horrifically. Study Roman crucifixion because Romans were experts at it. They perfected the art of crucifixion. And the scourging was where the majority of them died. You, you, want, to, you want to see a close image of what it is? Watch that scene from the Passion of the Christ where they got Jesus chained up to that whipping post, and they're laughing at him and spitting on him and taking turns. When, when that cat of nine tails, long strips of leather with glass and metal stuck in that leather, and they'd wrap around, and they would, it wasn't how hard you hit them. It was how hard you ripped it back. When that would wrap around and dig into him and rip him open, the Bible says that all his bowels hung out. His guts hung lower than his groin because the Bible says it was impossible. He hung naked. I'm talking about total humiliation. He hung naked, having been beaten in a scourging process that killed most people. His flesh was ripped open. It wasn't just a little trickle of blood. It wasn't just no blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus with a trickle of blood coming off a thorn pushed in his head. The Bible says that his bowels hung out and it was impossible to tell if he was male or female. When you got your guts hanging below your groin and people can't tell what sex you are, you have been beaten horrifically. Jesus said that he endured everything for God's glory. That God empowered him to go to the cross joyfully. But what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he knew, because he knew everything, he knew how painful it was going to be, and he knew that they're coming for me tonight. The process is here. It starts now. And he cried out to the Father, is there any other way we can do this? Is there a different plan? Because they're about to rip the flesh off me. 
And I love these people, and they're about to say mean things to me. And they're about to reject me, and I've tried everything I can to care for them. He said, is there any other way? And God said, no, this is your way. This is your job. This is your task. This is what I've called you to do. And he went through with it. What did Jesus tell Peter? They come to get Jesus. A bunch of soldiers armed with swords and spears come to get the God who created everything. Peter pulls out his little sword, and he goes to cutting up the high priest's servant. Jesus said, put that away. And as they're about to drag him off to beat him half to death, he puts the ear back on the man. They come to drag him away. And he says, don't you know if I wanted to get out of this, I could get out of this? People, these people, nails didn't hold Jesus to the cross. Love held Jesus to the cross. The love Jesus has for God. And the love Jesus has for us because he was together for us and he was together for the Father. And he said that, that the power that, 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 that you've given me so that I can do everything that I need to do, I'm going to give them that same power. The power that I could stick with you through the cross, I'm going to put that power in them where they can stick together in spite of all their hardships. But what do most people do when they get hardship in the church? Gone. Gone. Start my own thing. That's why I told you, don't ever follow or partner with a ministry that has no legitimate covering, that was not sent out by anybody, somebody who got mad and wouldn't start their own thing, is not of God. No example of it in the Bible. And that's why it's been said for hundreds of years. Some were called, some were sent, some just packed up their junk and went. There's too much of that in the earth today. To be a dentist, you have to have some credentials. To be a surgeon, you have to have some credentials. You'll go to a dentist, sit down in a chair, and the dentist like, well, what do you think I ought to do to you today? Hey, people sitting around talking about, what's this verse of Scripture mean to you? If a dentist said, well, what do you think this tool right here is used for? I mean, you don't know? You need to know. You're supposed to teach me. I'm not coming in here for me to make this up. We have positioned in this country. In other countries, it's not this way. We positioned in this country that you don't have to have any training to be a pastor. That you can just decide, I'm a pastor. And put a, let me find a place to meet, throw a sign up, put, a, put my name on it, put pastor in front of my name and tell everybody, thus saith the Lord. Listen to me. You got no training, got no education, got no schooling, got no credentials. Well, now they've even made, now they, they got tired of being told they got no credentials. So you can go online. Everybody in this room can become a pastor before midnight tonight. Every single person can become an ordained and licensed pastor in this country tonight. Go on the internet. I, I, I've seen the lowest price I've seen it for is $14. Pay online. They'll, they'll give you a thing. You print it out right there at your home. Who signed it? They don't know. Who, 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 who authorized it? They don't know. I'm feeling it in my pocket right now. I left my wallet in my office. I carry my ordination in my wallet everywhere I go. It's part of my identification. I didn't buy it. 
was given to me by people that believed in me, that were over me, that were higher than me. You have all these people starting these things. Why? Because they got mad and started their own thing. I had somebody tell me on- online yesterday that they were going to a, uh, a little house church. She said, I, I, know, it's, I know it's wrong. Well, we, all, we all left the church because we were all mad, and, uh, and, and, and now we're falling apart because everybody's just going back to their worldly ways. And I'm like, eh, you ain't supposed to follow people that leave in a mess. That's, that, it, it's about staying together in the midst of hardship. Now, the, the greatest show of immaturity can be found in little kids. What do they do? They get mad. Well, I'll take my ball and go somewhere else. You can't do that. You can't do that in the army. The cause is too big. The connection is too strong. You learn how to fight through it. You don't take your ball and go somewhere else from your brother and your sister. You fight it out. You make it work. You don't just tell your kids, eh, this ain't working. Just Psh. Not the first time. I give them, you know, two times. He said, I, I gave them what you gave me. You have the power to do what God has called you to do. You have the power to stay connected to the body of Christ in spite of massive difficulty because the devil wants to destroy us. The devil wants to divide us. The devil wants leadership to be against its own leaders, wants followers to be against each other, to destroy the family. So we lose, and the world loses, and nobody believes that God sent Jesus. Jesus wants us to represent him to the point where people will say Jesus must be the the real way. Because his people are too connected to not believe. He said in verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and love me, and, and, and love them and love me. This is the plan. that Jesus is in us. God is in Jesus. He wants us to have such perfect unity, such a strong sense of family, connectivity, togetherness, that the world will know that God the Father sent Jesus the Son and that God the Father would love us as much as he loves Jesus. That you, that, and that you love them as much as you love me. Verse 20, the verse I cried all night on. Jesus said, I'm praying this for some people. I'm not just praying this for Peter, James, and John. I'm praying this for everybody who will believe on me in the future. That's us. He said, he, this is what he's praying, that we would have such a, such a unity, that we would have such a togetherness, that, that the world would know that Jesus is real, and that the Father would love them, which here is us, as much as you love me. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. See, we live in this performance-based culture where, where works have been taught in church too long, so people think God loves them strong Christians for real. I've had people, people tell me, well, Pastor, I'm one, of, I'm, I'm one of the bottom half of the church crowd. I'm probably the bottom, bottom percent of the church. I'm one of them lesser Christians. What are you talking about? Because you still have issues. Everybody has issues. God doesn't love 
the, the, his children based on how well we perform. God doesn't love you more because you come to Wednesday night Bible study when somebody else decided to stay home tonight. We don't gain brownie points and, and love from God. We don't get acceptance from God because we read our Bible seven days in a row. He loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus got all the brownie points in the world. We're coattailing our way on God's love. God, it's just like if somebody really loves you, they'll honor your children just because they're your children. That's coattailing your way in. We're coattailing our way in. And Jesus wants us to be together, wants us to be together horizontally and vertically. Most people only concentrate on one of those. Hear this and I'm done. God is concerned with your horizontal relationships. That's us together. And your vertical relationship. That's us and him. Now, if you put a horizontal line and a vertical line like this, guess what that forms? What symbol that forms? That's the cross. That's the heart of the gospel. That we don't just concentrate. See, some churches are, are really great at social causes and, and social justice, and, and they do a great job blessing their community. I believe we do that. I believe that we're right there. I believe that we're one of the leading churches in the earth. We have more people. We fed almost 300 people Saturday out of, out of our food pantry. We don't have 300 people showing up on Sunday here. We, we're, we're, we're doing more work in the community than we're doing in this room, and that's good and that's great. That, that's horizontal. That, that's being a blessing this way. Some churches are so theologically high-minded and intellectually driven that their theology and their teaching is so amazing, but they don't do anything for their community. It's just all about the great, let me teach you about God. That's the concentration on the vertical. What about the concentration on the horizontal? Some people concentrating on the horizontal. What about the vertical? We've all got that in our own lives. you got to be right in your relationships with your family. Even if they're wrong, you got to be right in your relationships with the family of God. That's the horizontal, but you got to be right in your relationship to God too. That's the vertical. And this is what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be totally and completely committed to togetherness with all of his followers. Methodists, somebody tell me the other day, Catholics aren't real Christians. I know lots of Catholics that are Christians. Born again, saved, sanctified, filled with God's Spirit. Now, if they believe everything exactly the way the priest is teaching them to believe, they got some issues, and that won't get you to heaven. But we've got to be 100% sold out to the togetherness. Methodists, Pentecostals, Church of God, Church of God by faith, everything. Somebody calls themselves a Christian, stop judging them to see if they're your level of Christian. My 12-year-old is not as tall as my 15-year-old. Some people have the younger kid taller than the older kid. It doesn't make them more my kid because one of them looks more like me. They're my children, and I love them. They don't have to do anything to get it but be mine. I love them when they're acting stupid just as much as I love them when they're acting perfect. Because the love is based on relationship. It's not based on performance. we got to be totally committed to all of God's people. And we got to be totally committed 
to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus prayed for. This is what Jesus wants. Start being nicer to Christians. Be more accepting. Stop thinking that they're not your kind of Christian. Christians come in all shapes and sizes. All races, colors, creeds. They come in all different backgrounds. And they don't believe the same thing all the time. But are they Christian? Well, they're not, they, 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 don't, they, don't live, they don't live it enough for me, Pastor Scott. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you'd be a Christian based on your ability to live it the way somebody else thinks you ought to live it. The Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Christ, not by how perfect we are. If you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, we're family. we got to be together. we got to be one. we got to stay together through any kind of weather. If you really call yourself Christian, you got to be one with God. Ain't none of this. Well, I'm thinking about studying a different religion. That's foolishness. That's distraction and a waste of your time. You don't need to study no other religion. You don't need any other book than this book right here. That's the whole book. That's the whole book right there. There's no other book. Study that book. Totally committed. Like Peter told Jesus in John 6, when all the crowds turned away, Jesus said, are y'all going to leave too? Peter said, we ain't, I ain't leaving. There ain't nowhere else to go. Because I believe you're the only one. That is totally sold out. If you're really saved, you can't stop yourself from loving him. Because here's what will happen. Go on backslide. Go on and run out to the world. And guess what you're going to find out? I don't love this over here the way I love this over there. I want this back over here, and you're going to come back over here eventually. You can't stray on God forever. So you just may as well lock it in your head. I'm a Christian. I'm Christian more than I'm anything. I'm Christian more than I'm white. I'm Christian more than I'm southern. I'm Christian more than I'm male. I'm Christian more than I'm heterosexual. I'm Christian more than I'm anything. And that's the one thing. We're going to love God and we're going to love each other. That's the one thing that we need to be sold out to. God and his command for us to love each other. That's what he prayed. The Lord's prayer is not in Matthew 6. The Lord's prayer is in John 17. And what he prayed, let them love each other. God, the way we love each other. And let them know that you love them as much as you love me. No matter how sanctified they are. He's praying that these people will be sanctified. You only have to sanctify something that's dirty and not fit for the master's use. He's praying for them. He's like, I know they're raggedy, Father. They're cowards. They're whoremongers. They're fleshly. They're carnal. They don't study the word enough. They don't pray enough. But I want you to let them know that you love them just as much as you love me. And if you don't get anything out of tonight's teaching, I want you to get that. No matter how good or bad you think you are as a Christian, if you know that you love God on the inside, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Give yourself space to grow. Forgive yourself. Give yourself the awareness that says, God loves me. And I know he does because he says he does. 
Let's love him and let's love each other. Let's be committed to that. We shouldn't be at the place where we're checking out Christianity. We shouldn't be at the place where we're checking out abundant life. We shouldn't be at the place where we're deciding is, is, is God the right way for us or is, is this church the right way for us. I was talking to the leaders Sunday night and, and Ken blessed me. He said, when we came, we knew it's where we're staying. And they've been through some rough changes. Family left. Family brought them here. Family left. Broke connection with me. Huffs, they said, hey, this is where God put us. We're not, we're not guessing. We're not checking it out. We're not praying if we should be here, if we should leave. We know. We knew when we got there. This, this, this is where we're going to serve God and this is where we're going to die. That's unity. That's one. We got to get to that place because that's what Jesus wants for you. Give him that. Give him your dedication to God's people and give him your dedication to the Father. Everything else will work out. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Help us, God, to know that you love us. And help us to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.